0: This evening we are drawing closer to our conclusion of our study on the the Beatitudes, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus. Uh, Tonight we are looking at uh, the second to last, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Here we read from our Lord Jesus' mouth: Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I'd also like to read from Romans, chapter 12, beginning at verse 14 uh, to the end of that section, verse uh, the end of that chapter, to verse 21. These words are also printed in your worship folders. Romans, chapter 12, beginning at verse 14, Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. He was good. Here we're going to end our reading of holy word tonight. Brothers and sisters, as I hope you have noticed, because I've tried to emphasize this in our Beatitudes series, as we've looked at Jesus' Beatitudes one by one, we've noticed that in each of these Beatitudes, Jesus challenges the common thoughts and desires of our unbelieving world. He emphasizes the stark contrast between the attitudes of the kingdom disciple, the attitudes the values that are to be ours, as the people of God, and the attitudes of the sinful world. And so, uh, as our world teaches self-reliance, self-dependence, our Lord Jesus says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they must go to God for everything that they need, for body and soul. Our world teaches self-promotion and pride But our Lord Jesus, on the other hand, teaches, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have a proper understanding of themselves, a proper valuation of themselves, not only before God, but before others. Our world teaches, do what feels good. You do you. Uh, Don't be too concerned about righteousness. What does our Lord Jesus teach in contrast? He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the pure in art. You see, Jesus' Beatitudes stand in shocking contrast to the desires of unsaved sinners. That's what we've seen so far. But his sermon might not seem so radical at the point where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. After all, who in our society is opposed to peace? We look around and it looks like our society is fairly preoccupied with the idea of peace, creating peace in our society. After all, we have international organizations that work to create peace all over the world. We give achievement awards to people uh, who, who are recognized for their efforts at promoting global peace. For decades, popular musicians have lent their voice to uh, trying to achieve uh, peace in the world, and to ending conflicts in society. Think of John Lennon, for example. who imagined all people living in peace. We've all seen the protests on the TV. People are protesting in the name of racial and economic peace. So, isn't this At least the one beatitude of Jesus' sermons about which our society might actually say, Amen? Well, maybe that might be the case at first glance. But if we look a bit closer, we see that even in this case, our society's definition of peace and peacemaking is far different than that of our Lord Jesus, far different than that of God's Word. In reality, One commentator says, what most people want is not peace, but comfort. They want the absence of conflict in their lives, the desire to pursue life and and liberty and happiness without hindrance. The world does not say, blessed are the peacemakers. The world says, blessed are those who are comfortable and blessed are those who make my life more comfortable. And so we see that in Jesus' beatitude here as well as the others, we are called as believers to a higher standard of peacemaking, one that is motivated not by selfish desires, one that's not motivated by a desire for comfort and personal well-being, but a desire for peacemaking that's motivated by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, we're going to examine Jesus' words, Jesus' promise, there are the peacemakers, for so they can be called sons of God. And we're going to do that also by looking at the words of Paul and Peter in the New Testament. Together, we'll see that biblical peacemaker seeks out renewed relationships, not only with God, but also with our neighbor, based on the gospel. We're going to see three things tonight together. First of all, the important point that God achieves our peace. Secondly, that God appoints us peacemakers, and then finally, God adopts us for progress in peacemaking. Well, some of you tonight might think of yourselves as natural peacemakers. When there's a problem in the family, when there's a conflict, a disagreement in the family, you're usually the one to step in the middle of everything, to get into the fray, You break out two sides, and you're able to come up with the right words to bring about peace in that situation. We can certainly say that some of us are more gifted at problem-solving, peacemaking, than others. But scripture tells us that peacemaking is very far from a natural impulse for each and every one of us. The inclination to pursue true peace doesn't come from within. It's not natural to us. In fact, Paul had to reprimand the Christians in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3 because there was all sorts of hostile behavior going on in that church. Jealousy, uh, quarreling, disputes of all kinds were common among them. They were not naturally inclined towards peace, either with God or with one another. But they're more inclined to boast about their personal allegiances, about uh, their personal prestige. When Amanda and I were taking premarital counseling from Reverend Emire, he gave us a very handy principle to guide us during times of potential conflict in the home. And he said this try to understand, not misunderstand. That's a little gem of advice because we are prone not to try to understand one another. We are prone to try and misunderstand. We like to foster conflict and division, even within our homes. That's our natural inclination. So if we are to be peacemakers, as our Lord Jesus calls us to be, Well, the motivation for that, the ability for that, needs to come from outside of ourselves. That needs to come from God, who first needs to achieve our peace. As we look at the New Testament, in particular, uh, Paul's words to the Ephesians in chapter 2, we're reminded that we were by nature objects of God's wrath. We were by nature at war with God. Peace with Him is the very thing that you and I lack. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He says to the saints, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by nature at enmity with God. No peace could be possible with Him because we were objects of His wrath. But Paul goes on here to talk about the glorious news of the gospel. When we could not achieve peace with God ourselves, God Himself stepped in to achieve that peace. God restored peace between himself, the holy creator of all things, and us, his beloved, his elect. And at a high cost to himself, God brought us who were once far off, far away from his covenant, and he brought us near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Christ willingly surrendered his divine prerogatives. He humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross to pay the immense debt that our sins had accrued, And having paid the penalty for our sins through his death, he restored our peace. He restored our peace with him forever. And we also read in Ephesians chapter 2 that as a result of the peace that Jesus has restored between us and God, well then Christ is also breaking down the walls of hostility that we sometimes experience between ourselves and our friends. Here in Ephesians 2, in particular, the is talking about conflict that often ensued between Jewish and Gentile Christians. Jewish and Gentile Christians in the early church often debated about what was necessary to be a covenant member in the church. Did the Gentiles have to follow the old Jewish food laws, for example? Did they need to be circumcised in order to be in good standing in the church? Well, that was a source of conflict for them. It created ethnic barriers within the church. And the apostle writes to them later on in chapter 2, and he says, this is the result of the gospel. This is the result of God renewing peace between you and him. He says in verse 14, for he himself is Christ, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see, that's how God works. That's the order of his work. First, he makes peace with us through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. He welcomes us as adopted sons and daughters into his family. And then he breaks down the the walls of hostility that exist between us and our neighbors. And then he appoints us to be peacemakers. As those who preach the gospel of peace to those around us. And so God calls us to imitate the self-sacrificing love of Christ for us. That achieved our redemption. He appoints us peacemakers. But how do we fulfill that particular task, to be peacemakers? I want to just point out two ways that we can do that as those who are called to imitate the self-sacrificing love of Christ. First, we can be peacemakers as we fulfill the duty of proclaiming the gospel to lost sinners. We are called to proclaim the gospel to lost sinners. our society is so concerned about promoting peace, creating peaceful relations in society, but it has no interest in creating that peace through the gospel. But it would be futile to try to persuade people to be at peace with one another unless they are first at peace with their Creator through Jesus Christ. And so our first concern as peacemakers is to seek out the lost, to seek out the sinner, and to proclaim to them their need to be at peace with their God, with their Creator. This is one of the hardest things that we as believers are called to do, to actually preach, to actually proclaim the gospel of salvation alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. After all, what should we say to our neighbor, to our unbelieving family member, to our co We are concerned that if we we tell them about Jesus, that they will not want to speak with us anymore. We are concerned that that we will alienate them from us. So so often we keep quiet, hoping they'll just come around in time. But think about this, brothers and sisters. If the peace, if the good relationship that we think we have with our unbelieving friends or family members is not rooted in the gospel. If that peace that we think we have isn't based upon a shared peace with God and a clean heart before Him by faith, then it's not a true or lasting peace. It's not a secure peace. It's not a, not a profound peace. It's an extremely precarious and temporary peace. And so we have the task, first of all, to seek out and expose our neighbors to the gospel to tell them that it is only Jesus Christ that is the source of their prevailing peace. Now, is that an easy task? Not in the least. Not in the least. But I want to encourage you tonight that there are some very practical ways that we can be gospel-centered peace. And the first is simply this. Tell your story. Tell your story read in 1 Peter 3.15, that we should be ready, we should be prepared to give an answer to those who ask us about the hope that we have. And we should give that answer with gentleness and respect. That calling doesn't require us to have a seminary degree. It doesn't require us to be versed in Christian apologetics, defending faith. No, we can simply share with our friend, our family member, our neighbor, our co-worker, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We can share that once we were dead in our sins, deserving of God's wrath, deserving of death, but the Holy Spirit worked in my heart. He created faith in my heart so that I could reach out and receive the salvation of God through Christ for me. Simply share how the Lord has changed your life. That is enough to be a gospel-centered peacemaker. But also, we can be holy. We can model peace through our relationship with our loved ones, with our family members. Believe me, brothers and sisters, the world is watching. The world is watching how we uh, care for one another as a body of believers. The world is watching uh, as we communicate with one another in the public place. Um, and I pray that the world is seeing that we are modeling peace in our relationships with others. We should do that also being prepared to be ridiculed, to be unpopular in our world as well. And finally, we can pray for our unbelieving friends and neighbors. Pray that the Lord work in their hearts and create peace within. Secondly, we have another way that we can be uh, gospel-centered peacemakers, and that is we have the duty to actively pursue peace with our fellow image bearers. We are called to actively pursue peaceful relations with one another. Sometimes we we wish as believers we could uh, just have an ivory tower relationship with God. Uh, We can just kind of hide away and enjoy blessed peace and harmony with the Lord, and we don't need to worry about our relationships with others. But that's not God's calling for the Christian life. Uh, We are called to pursue peace with one another in the church, first and foremost. In 1 Peter chapter 1.22, he writes, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, So that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter's instructions are these. You've tasted the salvation of God. You know what it is like to be at peace with God. Now love your brothers. Love your sisters in Christ. Love them deeply. Love them sincerely. Be at peace with one another. So that's certainly the case that we should be actively pursuing peace in the church. But the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 reminds us that we should be pursuing peace uh, in general life as well. Uh, here in Romans 12, 17 to 21, the Apostle is, is quoting from Proverbs 25, which talks about pursuing peace not just with those we love and like, but also with our neighbors as well. Listen as I read this passage. All right. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul says we, we actively pursue peace with others, not by fighting back, by fighting fire with fire. We pursue peace with others, not by becoming a treadmill for them to walk on, as people have no convictions, just seeking to appease our neighbor, fighting fire with a wet blanket. No, we don't pursue peace actively in those ways. We overcome evil. We overcome strife with good. We do whatever is in our power, as much as it depends upon us, to set things right, to promote peace in our life with others. In other words, we don't fight fire with fire. We don't even fight fire with a wet blanket. We fight fire with an invitation to a barbecue. We return positive good for evil. That's what our general characteristic should be as believers, those who are peacemakers, even at cost to our reputation, but never at the cost or the expense of the truth of God. And when we do that, when we are gospel-centered peacemakers, then we live as signposts, as witnesses of the kingdom of peace that Christ has inaugurated and which is still coming. Paul in Romans 14 encouraged the Romans not to divide amongst themselves over worthless arguments, but to be at peace. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit so he says to us, therefore, let us make every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That is our calling, as those who have been appointed peacemakers, to preach the gospel of peace, through which our neighbors may be right with God, but also to actively pursue peaceful relationships, both in the church and in the home and in general life. Finally, we see that God adopts us for progress in peacemaking. As we hear about this duty that we have to be peacemakers, you might wonder, where do I get the strength, where do I get the wisdom uh, to be able to do this, to be a a faithful peacemaker in the life uh, and the calling that God has given to me. And the answer, as we so often see, that question lies in the promise that's attached to this manhood. Our Lord Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons of God. You see, strength for peacemaking comes from God's Spirit, who lives in us as adopted sons and daughters of God. Let's read just a few verses from Romans chapter 8, verses 14-16. This is what God tells us about ourselves. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, God, adopted sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says that the God of peace raised our Lord Jesus from the dead and for making peace with us through the blood of his cross. That God of peace owns us. He has adopted us as sons and daughters. He has made us brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We have been united to him by faith. God has filled us with his Holy Spirit. He's given us the mind Jesus Christ. And we read in Galatians 5 that if we live by the Spirit, then we will also keep in step with the Spirit. We will bear the fruit of the Spirit, of which is peace. And so we are to have, as those who are ruled and reigned by the Holy Spirit, we are to have the mind of Jesus Christ The same mindset of Christ who, when he came to earth, he didn't clutch his rights, but he gave himself up for our peace. That's to be our mindset. That is our mindset. As those who are united in Christ by faith. Having the mind of Christ means that we will not defend our comfort. We won't defend our rights above all but we will actively seek out peace with others, even those who have wronged us. We will not seek peace just so that we can be right or justified in their sight, but because we desire peace with them most of all. You see, if we look at peace from a self-centered point of view, is this fair for me? Am I getting what I deserve? Uh, then we will not be walking according to the spirit. Because that kind of spirit leads to misunderstandings and division in the church. If we have the mind of Christ, if we are ruled by the Spirit, then we will humbly apologize. Or we have wronged others. We'll make the first move instead of demanding that they come to us first and apologize. And we will be the kind of people that others can approach without fear, knowing that they receive from us sympathy and grace and an understanding, forgiving heart. As those who are adopted sons and daughters of God's family, ruled by the Holy Spirit, God says we can make progress in peacemaking. So brothers and sisters, may our homes, may our churches, may our places of businesses, our schools, be places where peace dwells, May they be places where we live with the mind of Christ, ruled by the Holy Spirit, ruled by the Prince of Peace. May we in our spheres of influence reflect the kingdom of heaven, which is a matter of righteousness and joy and peace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have achieved our peace. With you through Jesus Christ, you've overcome the the boundary of our sin, the the broken bridge of our sin that makes fellowship with you impossible, and you have bridged that gap by giving us Christ, the agent of our peace, the one who restores fellowship with you. And As a result of that renewed peace, we thank you that you are also breaking down walls of hostility between us and our neighbors, between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ, who are bringing unity into the body of Christ. We pray that as you have appointed us peacemakers, that we would seek to do that, not only by promoting and preaching the gospel, but also by actively seeking out peaceful relationships with our loved ones and friends in any way that we can, as far as it depends upon us. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you do not leave us alone in this task, but you give us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the mind of Christ so that we can follow your command to be peacemakers in everyday life. Bless us in this task, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.